I'm James Ernest of Cheap Ass Games, and you're listening to Legends of Tabletop. Hey everybody, this is John. And this is Vince. And you're listening to Legends of Tabletop. Creating legends one die at a time. Welcome everybody. This is episode 108 and we've got James Ernest on tonight. So how's it going James? Uh, Not too bad. (laughs) It's been a little while since we've had you on the show. Welcome back. How you been doing? I have been working my fingers off. uh, I'm going to a trade show next week. And so this week I'm kind of working overtime. Nice. Very cool. Uh, since the last time you were on, you were on the, uh, the Joko cruise. How was that? Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, this was our third Joko cruise. My family goes on that. Uh, it was great. I was not as fond of the Mexican ports that they chose as I was of the Caribbean. I know the Caribbean better, I guess, but, uh, the people were great as always. And I got to do lots of fun things and, uh, yeah, of course the Joko cruise is amazing. That's cool. I, I was looking at it a little bit. I, I didn't realize how expensive it was because I've been on a couple of cruises and I'm looking, I'm like, ah, you know, this would be the best in the world, right? You go for a you know, week or whatever, play tons of games. And I'm like, Ooh, that's a little, but it makes right. sense, right? I mean, Certainly not a cruise. discount cruise. And, and part of the price of your ticket is the ticket price of all the shows. Like yeah. you're buying a, a ticket to all the, the events. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's not a money saver, but, but it's certainly, it's a, it, Andrew Looney and I were joking on this cruise about doing an event of our own that was kind of the opposite of the Joker cruise. It would be like Andy and I would take a cruise and you could go on the same boat if you wanted and we would have no events and <laughs> not even promise to be anywhere near people. We would call it a, a, what do we call it? A vicinity experience. You know, you could be on the same boat as us and that's all the promises we're going to make. And that would be possibly cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. When I was trying, I was trying to remember what the name of it was because I wanted to ask you about it. And the only thing I could think of was was Junko, and it just, you know, was like, you know, I was envisioning, you know, a bunch of twenty year olds in baggy pants, all petulant and angry, you know, <laughs> cruising through the Caribbean. Well, that's that's almost perfect. They're just not twenty. <laughs> Uh, that's awesome. Well, we have you coming on tonight to talk about Button Men, Beat People Up, uh, your latest Kickstarter for cheap-ass games. Can you tell us a little bit about the game? Well, Button Men is uh, it's a it's a dice game. It's a very quick-playing dice combat game. Two people fight, and they capture each other's dice, and it takes like nine turns. It's really short and really cool. This game was invented before it was Button Men. The concept was... This game is going to be given away on coasters at a restaurant next to a game store. And that oh, game cool. store sells dice. So this game was engineered to sell dice. That's like all it does. And we, we lost that contract. They, did, they weren't interested in the game. We had actually already sold them a whole wave of games prior to this one. And they're like, let's see how those do, and then we'll look at wave two. So I kind of sat on this thing. I didn't know what to do. I didn't need coasters in my house. And... I finally figured out the idea of putting the characters on buttons and calling it Button Men, and and we we sold them in, in 1999 through about 2003. We had just we just released expansion after expansion, and we had partners making these characters. Every character has a different set of dice and different kinds of dice and different kinds of attacks he can make, and so on. But 
we made so many that we sort of stopped and uh, put the game on on hold for a while, and people could still play it for free online. And of course, the stats are very easy; you can just play for free with the dice you have. But I wanted to figure out a way to bring it back in a way that wasn't so expensive per character. So, like, we used to sell two buttons for four fifty, and if you you know bring that forward in time, that's like six fifty for two characters. Uh, when the characters are just made out of five numbers, we thought, let's do this game on trading cards. Let's do a bigger starter set, but with lots of characters in it. And for people who don't have dice, we're going to put dice in the box as well. So it's 35 now for like 48 characters and all the dice they need. And now we can, like, if this game comes out, which, you know, I'm, I'm sort of reciting the, the pros <laughs> on the Kickstarter campaign by saying if, because obviously it will, because it's already funded. But when it comes out, then we can start doing expansion packs that are just booster packs of 12 cards. Um, so that's like, that's that's the goal. That's the goal is you can buy characters now for almost nothing. Nice, very cool. Very cool. Uh, like you said, originally it was uh, published in 1999. The, the original run, I guess up to 2,000, over 300 characters with all the expansions and stuff, licensed right. properties and all that stuff. Right, we had uh, lots of, of other publishers who did their own sets of characters, and some of them were pretty high-profile licenses, like uh, uh, Sailor Moon Button Men came out from Guardians of Order, and that one's specifically top of mind because they're coming back. In fact, uh, sort of in, in parallel with my reinvention of Button Men, uh, Mark McKinnon over at Discami has been doing the same thing with Sailor Moon Button Men, and he's got the same characters now. They're coming out this fall with with essentially the same stats as they had back in the in the in the two thousands or the oddies or whenever they actually came out. All right. Yeah, I saw it. See, see you're so good at this. <laughs> that was one of my things. So it's, so you you've paired up a partnership with them to to re release all that. Um, and and are so that's just direct to market. That's not Kickstarter or anything like that on their part. He's not Kickstartering that. Um, he is just releasing a direct to market. Of course, we're going to partner with him and cross promote and everything we can, and. He's doing roughly the same thing that we are. He's doing the characters on cards. So his box is a starter pack with 24 characters, I think, and dice. And um, he's doing something interesting to make the game wearable. He's putting a badge holder in his box. Hmm. So you can stick the character in the badge holder and wear the badge holder. And I, we, we sort of have debated whether we want to do something like that. What, what we're doing at this point to have, have a wearable in the core game is just a button, a single button, uh, probably a character button, but something that just says I play button men because you can at least advertise with that and carry carry the other characters in your pocket. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely like a cool thing for a convention or something like that because there, there's still like an active community for button men, right? There's tournaments, there's competitive play, like there's all kinds of well, absolutely. stuff that's coming and, around. And, um, you know, we have to think about all the possible ways that this game can can be played and conventions are one of those places and Game stores are, are a place where if, if you need dice, you can just buy them. But we sort of, we still did a starter pack with dice in it. And I think Mark made the same decision because he's also going to sell this on Amazon. He's going to sell it in bookstores. He's going to sell it in places where people can't just reach out and, and grab a handful of dice. Sure, sure. Um, all right. So when the game originally came out, you won two Origin Awards. This is like a common theme with games that come out of cheap-ass games. Uh, yeah, uh, for the Origins Awards fell down on the job for for a very long time and gave me a lot of awards before they finally <laughs> wised up. Uh, but yeah, we so that was an era of interesting innovation and and games like 
button men and uh, disc wars and uh, and honestly they almost had a things on round things category before they finally sort of settled on you know button men won for best abstract board game it's not a board game it doesn't have a board the board is abstract maybe that's what they mean mm-hmm. and they were they had real trouble like pigeonholing it into any other category although technically if you <laughs> if you read the rules at the time. Button Men was actually more like a role-playing game than a board game, but that that would have been even worse. <laughs> and I think it was a year or two after that, because of games like like this that sort of broke the mold, that they created the Vanguard category, which they could, which was basically treated as a catch-all. They're like, okay, you made a game that doesn't fit in our pigeonhole. Congratulations, here's an award. Now, now, don't turn that into a category, or we're going to have to restructure everything again. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, so I'm assuming then the, the, the current iteration that is, is backwards compatible with all the previous. Yeah, um, I, I've done a lot of sort of new editions of old games, uh, since I rebooted cheap ass games, uh, a few years ago, but, but all, and most of those do have some sort of tweak to the rule that makes the new version better. But, but the core game mechanic for button men really doesn't need any help. It's just fine. So yeah, all the characters in the new set, they are new, but they're also totally backward compatible. All the old characters are still playable. If you look at the stats that they have from Button Men Online, you'll see that there are plenty of tournament legal characters that that have a pretty high win ratio. So, you know, you can decide whether you think, for instance, the Brawl characters are are balanced. I think they're a little overpowered, but in terms of the baseline, yeah, these characters play against every other character and they're just fine. Okay. Well, so then, then I had a question about that too. Um, so do you, do you feel like overall, uh, because, you know, you know, watching through the, uh, uh, the, um, wow, I'm gonna have to edit all this, <laughs> the, uh, the gameplay, the, uh, the introductory gameplay is like, you know, how do you play the game? Um, and you know, some of the characters have like, you know, 2d 20 and a d 12 and a d four. So uh, do you feel that all the characters together are balanced out fairly equally? Sure. Um, uh, the the sort of key strength of Button Men is that a bigger die is not intrinsically better. So you can't just look at a character's numbers and, and say, well, this guy's heavier, so he's better. Um, small dice are faster, and they're worth less points. And, you know, without going into too many details, that sort of balances the set out. Now, that, mean, that doesn't mean that certain recipes aren't weaker than others, but it's not just based on how many sides a, a character can, uh, can, can field. And what really sort of breaks the game is when you bring in special dice types that have stronger attacks or, you know, other things that strictly make them better. Um, yeah, it, it, it's, there's always going to be the potential for a rock, paper, scissors t- type relationship. Some character might beat a singular other character a lot of the time. And that's just because of how, you know, the numbers happen to fall, but that character's not dominant overall. It's just, that's part of the cycle. And that, Second character can probably beat somebody else who can probably beat the first one, and and uh, that's the way we want it. It's when you have a game full of characters and the characters are are mechanically different, it's never going to be perfectly balanced. But we just want it want it to be interesting. And in fact, the the new set is going to have a whole section of the rulebook that talks about uh, uh, that that where you use multiple buttons and you draft and you sort of do other larger. Uh, game structures to mitigate the balance that you see might that you think might be in the game. So yeah, there's, there's a lot going on there. (laughs) It's, it's so weird to be in the middle of it because, you know, typically when I do a reprint of a, of an older game, 
I have a pretty good idea of what I want to do. And then during the Kickstarter campaign, I'm working on the finishing touches and people can kind of contribute to that and they can be a part of it. And we had a couple of backers sort of freak out when I, when I changed the rules on them in the, in the first week of the campaign, we were going to do a die type that was basically focused dice. And these are well-known dice and we like the characters that use them. But I played with focused dice and again, and I said, these are only interesting before the game starts and then they become normal dice and that's boring me. I want to do something else. So we have a new die type in the game called Rage Dice. No, it wasn't Rage Dice. There's something dice. else called Rage Dice. It's Rush Dice, right? <laughs> it's Rush Dice. And they're kind of like a different version of Speed Dice, but they have the coolest weakness, which is that they are vulnerable to the same kind of attacks that they can make. Hmm. Uh, so the, the Rush attack is I can capture two dice that add up exactly to one, the one that I'm attacking with, which is very unusual. Catch, catching a lot of dice is really hard. But um, but part of my definition on that die is that it's also vulnerable to that attack from anything. So now you suddenly have that attack as well because I'm showing those dice. Mm-hmm. Interesting. All right. Well, so so for the for the current for the core set, uh, there's four different factions. There's the downtown, which is the regular dice. The west side, which is shadow dice. Delta, which is poison dice, and Uptown, which is, is the rush dice. That, yep. So can you tell us a little bit about the other die types? Well, um, you know, the standard dice are just the core. The core rules of the game are when you're attacking someone, you can either do a power attack where your die is showing a number that's equal to or higher than, than a die one of theirs. So you're not rolling dice and then seeing if you succeeded. You're looking at the numbers you have and, and doing calculations based on that. So a power attack, my D20 showing a 20 can take your D12 showing a 2. Okay, that's a power attack. A skill attack is where I add up several dice to take one of yours, and they have to add up exactly. So that's sometimes where small dice actually have a, an advantage. They can make skill attacks because they can just sort of pile up and do the skill attack. So the core set, the, 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 the center set, has just those two die types. The, uh, the west side characters, I'm going to get this backwards. The west side characters have poison dice. Um, uh, shadow dice. Uh, yep, I got it backwards. Look at that. Why can't I ever get this right? So because I switched it halfway through, the west side characters have what? Shadow dice. You're looking at the list. See, I don't have that. Um, <laughs> Shadow dice are, were originally invented for the Vampires expansion, and they make their power attacks upside down. So instead of capturing lower numbers, they capture higher numbers. But those higher numbers still have to be within that capturing dice range. So a D8 that's showing a 2 can a- attack another die that's showing a 2 through 8. Um, and they do that instead of a power attack. So instead of looking down, they're looking up. Poison dice are worth negative points. Uh, so the characters from, well, you, I think you may have an old list because I know it's West Side has poison dice. You're looking at an old list. Uh, could be. I thought I pulled this right off the Kickstarter. Yeah, I because I'm thinking about colors in my head, right? I know the Delta is blue, and I know that's shadow dice. Uh, okay. West, Side is, West Side is green, and those are, uh, those are the, the poison dice. Well, anyway, poison dice, they're worth negative points. So these are suddenly dice you don't want to capture. Normally, if I take your 20-sided die, I get 20 points. If you keep your 20-sided die, you get 10. If it's poison, if I take it, I lose 10. If you keep it, you lose 20. So they're super uh, dangerous if you don't manage to get rid of them. But now we're playing the game upside down, basically. You're trying to get rid of that die, and I'm trying not to take it. Mm-hmm. And then um, the rush dice are the new ones, and we, we certainly have been playing with those quite a lot. But uh, basically, I already said what the thing they can do. They have an extra attack which is uh, the rush attack can capture two dice at once. 
And they also have an extra weakness, which is now suddenly your opponent has rush attacks also, just to, just to, to pick those up. Excellent. So um, the, the development for the rush dice are complete then? So this, you know, is not going to linger after the Kickstarter is over? Or is it's not going to linger. I, I wouldn't call it complete because I'm still planning to do a lot of testing, and I've also got some satellite groups that are still testing it. But I'm getting really good data from them now that I haven't gotten on other versions of the rush dice that we've, that we've played with uh, through the campaign. You know, the one of them was too weak, one of them was too strong, and this one is kind of like, you know, Goldilocks. It's kind of just right. But I'm going to be taking this game to Kubla Khan in two weeks down in San Francisco and playing it as much as I can. We're having a little closing party for the Kickstarter campaign. It's finishing on Friday of that weekend. And so, yeah, it's not done. I wouldn't put a fork in it, but it's definitely uh, getting really close. And it's not going to delay us, of course, in, in getting this game out. So, so no, I think No Button Men's Head has taken more than a couple of weeks to design and the whole history of the product. <laughs> <laughs> There's not much to worry about here. <laughs> sure. sure. <laughs> okay, that's cool. Well, I know uh, Alley Cat Games, uh, they had Cauldron Master on, uh, I guess, maybe about a month ago. And I think about halfway through the Kickstarter, they completely revamped the mechanic for the game. So Right, yeah. I don't launch when I'm not done. I, You know, I think we're talking at a really superficial level when we when we talk about the, the behavior of this die type. It's like, does Buttonman work? Absolutely. Does this die type work? Not yet, but it's okay, because I know how it's going. Sure, sure. Oh, that's cool. All right. Uh, so, um, I guess just talk about mechanics real quick. So, you, you roll all your dice in the beginning, and like you said, that's what you have to pull from, so you know what numbers you have, and right. you know what numbers you can you know, attack then from there. Um, and then when you take a die, then you re-roll the dice that you use to take that die. And then the, the, the die that you take from the other player then goes, you know, into your pool and sort of out of play for, uh, for scoring at the end. Right. You just, you capture it and take it out of play. It's, it's, it's straight attrition all the way through. I take one of yours, you take one of mine, bam, bam, bam. That's why I say the game is not any longer than nine turns. Cause that's like as long as it could possibly go. Sure, uh, unless sure. you've got some weird, very weird die types that I don't even want to mention, but um, <laughs> like despite how short that is, every one of those decisions is, is very interesting because you do have the basic arithmetic right now of what can I add up to? What can I take? Then you have the next level of what am I leaving him with? What can he take of mine? And the fact that you have to reroll only those dice that you attack with lets you basically control what dice you want to leave and what dice you want to reroll. If I have a three on my D20, I'm looking for a way to make an attack with that so I can roll it and try to get that number higher. But if I leave you, if I've got a 17 on the other one, I want to look at all your numbers and say I'm not leaving you with the ability to add up to 17. So all that that's going on at a really superficial level. But you also sort of, you know, you need a long-term strategy of, okay, I, I want to roll my little dice up. I want to protect my big ones. I want to keep from having to roll them. And I want to understand what the odds are based on which dice I attack with, how easy it is going to be for me to do this. There's also a bit of, of arithmetic that goes into how you – construct your character because every one of these characters has a swing die that is not a fixed size. I can decide for that fifth die any size in the box. Um, and in fact, if you buy more dice, any size at all, you can buy a D13 and put it in there for that X. And because of the scoring that we talked about before, like I take all your points, you take all my points. One of us is going to have a single die left because they can't all be taken. Right. It's possible that a character with a lot of sides could keep some of his own dice and still lose the game because he's given away so many points. 
Yeah. And in fact, there's these inflection points where let's say a larger character is, is, is beating up on a smaller character and he's bigger by so many points that he needs to keep at least 20 points to win. He needs to keep a D20 or he needs to keep, you know, whatever else adds up to 20 sides. If I keep those 20 sides, I win. Otherwise, I lose. I can keep a D20 and win that game. But if the math is a little bit different and my opponent goes just down by, by one die size, now I have to keep 21 points to win, and that's much harder. And so I ought to change what I have. And, and the, the, the game is best three out of five. So every time you lose, you're retuning, you're changing what you, what you add up to so that you can uh, kind of fall into the sweet spot of how many sides you have to keep to win. Okay. And is there a sweet spot for that swing die? You know, is there, Not, and I, I guess mean, it depends it's going to depend on the matchup, right? Yeah, it's going to yeah. depend on the matchup. It's going to be, uh, if you, if you don't need to keep a lot of points, but you want to go faster, you want to go first, the, the low roll goes first. So start with a four, right? Try that and see if you get the initiative as often as you want. Um, if you're having trouble reaching your opponent's big dice, then put a 20 in there and see what, if they can jump up and catch it. And if you wind up at some sort of threshold where, well, I, if I have a 20 in there, I have to keep too many sides to win, I'll ratchet that down to a 12 and see what that gets me. I don't usually play for money, so I'm not usually doing that math before the game starts, right? But after one round, I'll kind of look and see who won and by how much and go, okay, I think I need to change this way, and I'll just see how that works out. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I like... And I hate to say it's a low strategy because it's really not. When you when you start to really think about all that math and how many sides, what do I need to keep, and you know what's the strength of the other player, there is a lot of things going on. But it's very quick, you know, very easy game to learn and play. And I, I really enjoy a game like that because it's Absolutely. something you get on the, the table. The decisions that you're making feel really easy, and you can read that. We have a, a, a site called BeatPeopleUp.com that's that's got a lot of strategy articles on. It. You can read about that strategy, and you can kind of find all the the math in the corners of this game, but it's sort of scary to talk about that to someone who's never played the game before because they sort of feel like it's it's going to overwhelm them, and it's just not. It's just super easy to get into it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think, you know, a lot of people when they pick up a game, not necessarily button men because you know, it does have a, a high math component, at least on the back end, uh, you know, don't really give too much thought. You know, you go to, oh, this box is pretty, or this is good, or I've heard good things about this, or somebody referred it. But but a game like this, it's got to be like a mathematician's dream, right? I mean, there's just so many subtle nuances of... Sure, and, and everything we just talked about just bears on the behavior of normal dice. And when you start bringing in the shadow dice, the poison dice, and, and everything else, then then, you know, you've got a whole new field of study and a whole new bunch of articles to write. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's brutal too, right? Because you, you have to take a die if you can. You can't pass and like, oh, I'll come back. Right, so, that's, that's why poison dice work, because you're not allowed to pass unless you have to. Right, that, that's So brutal. I'm going to spend my time, if you've got poison dice, I'm spending my time actually um, taking your other ones, but then rolling my dice so that they're low enough that I can't take your poison die. And I'm trying to force you to hold on to it till the end. But yeah, I, I certainly, if I've got one attack left and it's to take your poison die, I take it. <laughs> <laughs> now, so, uh, you know, on, on a characters who, who come from that area, are all the dice poison dice or, or are there individual die no, on the they, card that are? Uh, uh, now we're talking about who's who. This is the West side now. I've got it straight in my head. But anyway, the, the West side characters, they have one or two poison dice. That's about the sweet spot unless you start going kind of crazy off the rails. And none of these characters are what I would call off the rails. But um, uh, so if you have one poison die, you're likely to have to eat it. If you have two poison dice, you can probably force one of them away. 
If you have more than two, you're forcing enough negative points away that you pretty much always win. So there, there are some exceptions to that, but basically they have one or two. And that's sort of true of, across the board. All the guys with special dice, there's some that are, that are fully made of that die type, but usually they have one or two, maybe three of that die type plus a mix of normal ones. And the way we're doing this in the starter set is we have, we have white dice, which are the normal dice. We have black dice, which are the special dice. And your card will tell you what that means. But you might have shadow dice. And I might have poison dice. And we're drawing from the same pool of black dice. And that's uh, just to keep the dice affordable. Like, basically, we're going to tell people, look, if you own a million dice, you should use blue for your shadow dice. And you should use right, green for right. your poison dice and everything. And that'll make this game a little bit easier. But the, if you look at the way we've designed the cards, the the characters with rush dice are just red orange. Just they're the good. They've got an orange logo. They've got red uh, dice. Uh, dice. They've got a red city down at the bottom. Like that's it's always it's all reminding you. Yeah, they're black, but they're really red. And and the other the poison guys are green, and the shadow guys are blue, and really heavily sort of tinted to that color to remind you. Yeah, if the dice are sitting next to that card, that's what they do. Okay, cool. Um, is there uh, any consideration? Um, you're saying that you know they, they rush dice or wow, I'm getting all That's terrible. I hope that's not me. No, I think no, it's I me. I, I don't know. Oh, editing. <laughs> okay, well, if it's echo, it's probably me. But but I don't usually have a problem with it. Yeah, no, I, it, it went away. Sometimes if I get too close to the to the, oh, mom, yeah. to the oh, yeah. laptop, oh, yeah. is, it, is that wireless? No, I'm I'm, I'm wired in. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, ah, so you you know you were saying that the the dice are red the you know the city in the bottom is red. Uh, do you have any like uh you know like an asterisk a triangle anything like that for for players who may be colorblind that you know would have trouble? Oh yeah, seeing um, that? we've actually we've never used color as a primary indicator of die behavior. So the a rush die actually has a red frame, but it also has a letter R on it. Okay, cool, cool. Okay, cool. cool. Yeah, not something that people would necessarily think about if they're not designing games. I, I, you know, I think it's interesting. So to- I have this weird luxury of being a publisher and also the graphic designer as well as the game designer. So I've been through the colorblind ringer a lot. And I know that our audience has a higher pr- proportion of colorblind uh, uh, players than the, the general populace. So I get a lot of feedback. In fact, when we redid re- Brawl last year, um, we went out of our way to make sure that even though they're you know red, green, and blue, and that's what they are, they actually have colors that are distinguishable even if you're colorblind, and also patterns and stuff to sort of help you see the differences. Cool, cool, very cool. Um, I know uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna segue here into our sponsor segment. We were talking before we got on the air. You were lamenting that you maybe wanted to go up and get a cup of coffee, and uh, one of our sponsors is Birds of a Feather Coffee. Uh, Birds of a Feather is a, uh, a craft small craft coffee roaster uh, based out of Florida. Uh, their signature blends showcase the amazing breadth and depth of flavors coffee has to offer. Uh, the Morning Lark Blend uh, is a bright, complex coffee with a lot of layers, from the structured roasted malt base to the honeyed sweetness that finishes off with hints of citrus and spice. Now, he writes that down. I'm telling you, I don't know. My palate's not that refined. It's like wine. Like, if it's good, it's good. Birds of Feather Coffee is good. Morning Lark, I don't, I, I don't like a light coffee. Night Owl Blend, that's my brew. It's all I, that's all I drink anymore. Um, but... The, uh, the, the morning lark blend, blend, it'll wake up your taste buds in the morning, noon, or at night. You can check out all of the Bird's Coffees and order now at Bird's Coffee. Wow. 
birdscoffeecompany.com. So much editing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if you use code LEGENDS10, you'll get 10% off your order. You get free shipping. I don't know how this guy makes any money. You know Neil. You love Neil. I love Neil. I don't know if you love Neil. He's a great guy. He runs great games. He makes great coffee, and it's fresh. If you put an order in today, what's today, Tuesday? I tell you, he's probably going to roast it on Thursday. You'll get it on Monday. It's not going to get any fresher unless you grow the beans, roast them yourself, and grind them up. So check them out, birdscoffeecompany.com. Order, use code LEGENDS10. You get 10% off, free shipping. It's fantastic. You'll never drink anything again. So, James, next time you need a cup of coffee, you go to birdscoffeecompany.com. Well, that sounds good. I usually just go to my kitchen. I work in my oh, house. The coffee's got to get to the kitchen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we'll, we'll check them out. That sounds really good. I, I like the description of all the flavors, and you say you can't tell them apart. That's I, I, I smoke cigars every now and then, and that's, what, that's how they describe those things, too. You know, they have all these all these nutty, uh, you know, hints of cinnamon. And when I'm, when uh, they just taste like burning. They, that's, they just taste <laughs> like burning. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't, I, I, you know, I like, I enjoy a glass of wine too. And, you know, or, or good beer, like I drink a lot of craft beers and stuff. And I, you know, I try to find the things that are different because I don't want to just like taste beer. Right. So like, wow me with some weird flavor or hint of some other thing. I, I don't know. It's either good or it's bad. I, <laughs> the subtlety is lost on me. It's a shame, I, I guess, you know, because if you're super into that, you know, I, I guess there's a lot of complexities that can be gleaned from, you know, whiskey. You know, I feel like with wine, like perhaps more than any other one of these uh, uh, items, there's an incentive to believe that you have a more defined palate than you do. Like if you're going to spend $200 on a bottle of wine, you have to feel like that money wasn't wasted. Mm -hmm. And, and so, yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of self trickery going on in there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so you already said you're, you're planning some expansions for the, uh, for the core set. So that's fantastic. Yeah, we're, so Gen Con is probably the best time for us to, uh, sort of meet all of our old partners and find some new ones and say, hey, do you want to do a set of characters? We're already working with uh, Green Roan, and we're going to do a set of, of characters from their uh, RPG, and we're doing... We're, we're talking to the people over at... Um, now, I'm going to need some editing. <laughs> no, I'm actually I'm actually kind of curious if, I, if, I, if I'm allowed to say that yet. So I can't say that, so whatever. We're okay. talking with some people about some things. <laughs> Don't get in trouble with the boss. <laughs> um, and Wait a I minute, that's me. I can say whatever I want. Did we not just <laughs> learn that? <laughs> when, I, when I tell you, it becomes unclassified. That's the rules. There you go. There you go. But whoever was making that expansion winds up getting shot. <laughs> All right. And, and I guess it, it's uh, okay to say, because you said it earlier, it's, uh, you, you could play the game for free. It, it's available on the website. There's a free section there. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's so weird when I wind up, you know, uh, jousting with someone who's like, you're making me buy all these dice. I'm like, I'm really not. I'm packaging this for a bookstore. Here's the stats. Enjoy the game for free. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> but I, you know, I, knowing that it's free, like I'm cheap, right? So cheap ass games, like this is, this is good synergy here. Um, but I, I would feel, for me, I would feel 
weird going and downloading and playing it for free, right? Especially now it's on yeah. Kickstarter. Like if it wasn't available, you're like, ah, I really like it. I'll play it, you know, but it's available. I, you know, I, I can't, you know, so there's, there's a pledge for every pocketbook, right? So you could just get the cards. It's 15 bucks. You know, they're going to come shrink wrap. You've got them. Every gamer's got buckets of dice, right? So you don't have to do the 35, but if you do the 35, you get the cards, you get the dice, you get the fun envelope. You're getting all kinds of cool little extras in there. You're getting eight extra character cards. You're getting the, the pin, you know, there's other bunch of stuff in there. Um, you know, so it, it's, 15 bucks. Like you, you spend 15 bucks, you go out and buy a cup of coffee, you know, Starbucks, you're already at like $7. So like you could get a game for that. Yeah. I, I mean, I agree. I think people who are complaining to me about price point really are complaining about something else. And it's really hard to engage them on that something else level. But, uh, you know, I, uh, uh, I really like giving my games away for free. It's sort of like, I don't think of it as an end run. I don't, I don't like dislike you because you play the game without buying it. Cause I feel like it's a demo copy. It's a free demo. If you want to download the rule books for one of some of our games off the website and just read through them or whatever, I think that helps you make a buying decision. And I don't feel like that keeping that information from you is long is profitable for me in the long term. So yeah, we, we have demos of a lot of our games. We have some of our out of print games up online for free download. Um, we also things that we haven't bothered to print. We also put up in places, um, you know, and by print, I mean like make 5,000 copies. We, we, we do some short-run games at places like drive through Cards where here's a here's a expansion to a game that we never printed, but it's here's here's a place you can get it. We try to get games in people's hands every way we can. Sure. And, and like you said, I think in the long run that benefits you, right? So people either, you know, they get to take it out for a dry run or they get to read the rules or, you know, maybe they download this one for free, but like that was really cool. I want to buy this other one because I like that. I enjoyed it and I want to support them there, right? Because I, I mean, hope so. It's about the community. I mean, I'm not gonna say I've never, you know, downloaded a free rule book or, you know, an RPG or whatever, but, you know, especially now, you know, in the position that we're in with the podcast, I feel it's so critical to, to, to promote and to support and, and to do all those things because, you know, this is what you guys are doing. Like, I'm just some asshole with a microphone and, you know, trying to get you on and, you know, maybe help sell some more games. But, like, this is your livelihood. Like, you're developing, selling games. This is how you survive. And I think it's important for, you know, and I don't think people necessarily, I don't want to on the audience or gamers or whatever, but, I, you know, I think sometimes there's a little bit of a disconnect. It's like, well, you know, especially with bigger companies like Watsy, like, ah, you know, they've got enough money. And I think sometimes that may trickle yeah, down. I mean, I, I know. But like I said, I think that attitude is coming from a particular kind of customer who is never going to be my customer anyway. And and so, I mean, I, I want you as a customer. I want someone who says, look, I, I like this game. I like what this publisher is doing. I like what this publisher is about. And so I may read it for free, but I'll pay money to buy it because I want to keep them in business. I think that's great. And I that's the kind of customer base that I want. And that's the sort of thing that, like, today's crowdsourcing and, and, and connected social media based publishing that that that's what we're all about that's that's sort of made for us like get to know us get to know our stuff and 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 we'll all benefit from that mm -hmm. and, and that I is think the people sort of, they, they dislike the facelessness and maybe maybe they i don't know about wizards of the coast specifically but i know that large large companies they feel like oh they don't love me specifically or whatever i think they can they might be right about feeling ignored but but like you know <laughs> nobody, nobody has to play games. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, right? I mean, business is business. I, you know, I get that. I mean, that's the cool thing about Kickstarter is because it is such an interactive 
thing. Like, you, you know, you, you have got pledge levels where people can, you know, pledge and be drawn into the game. Uh, you know, you, you guys are continually putting out updates. You know, people can email with questions like, oh, I don't understand this. You know, I'm kind of on the fence. Can you explain blah, blah, And you're there or somebody from Cheap Ass is there to be like, oh, it's this, that, and this. And, you know, thanks for sending us a question. And, you know, we hope that you, you know, support the project. So there, there's a lot of give and take, which is really cool. Yeah, we enjoy it. I mean, we aren't. We, we're never going to guess what people are going to love. We uh, we we shot a, a how to play video with a little pug in it, and we we love the pug, and we love the pug that came from a card sketch that has a pug in it, and and whatever. But but people uh, they, they like it well enough, but they've got this whole other thing in their head. They want this character called Mutton Ben, uh, yeah. which which, uh, which uh, we're like, okay, well, we didn't think of that, but we're glad you did. Sure, let's make that thing happen. <laughs> right. <laughs> And I think that's the, that's the uh, second stretch goal, right? Yeah, uh, we're gonna do Mutton Ben as a character, and I've been I'm I'm sort of in talks with Nate Taylor about exactly what this guy looks like. I haven't decided yet, but I think it might be a sheep dressed as like a cab driver or something. <laughs> we were thinking maybe a butcher, actually. I don't know where that's gonna go. <laughs> Ooh, that's kind of dark. I like it. Well, I like dark. That's, so. <laughs> that's super dark. A cab driver is sort of like left field. I, I think something that, that I take this game way too seriously, so I have to sort of step back and remember that the game does not take itself seriously. And one of the my favorite things about the original Button Men, which we are not going to lose, is that every one of them has a biography that is just silly. Like, it's not realistic, it's not even possibly true, but, you know, Avis is a world-class chainsaw dueler and ice sculptor. Like, yeah. of course it doesn't matter. Like, that, that the backstory of this game is irrelevant, and I've, I've really been on the fence about <clears throat> putting all the backstory in that I have been, I've been drawing maps for all the different, you know, character blocks. And there is no point to that except for my own entertainment. I, I was lucky enough to talk to one of our backers last week and I was like, do you like the maps? And he's like, Oh yeah, I love them. I'm like, okay, good. It's not just me. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I guess like you, <clears throat> you'd mentioned earlier, it was a little bit of a, you know, RPG element, in the beginning so you know having maps and those sorts of things and like having that sort of in your in your head canon is a, is a cool cool thing well we're, we're setting this game in a in a universe that actually already had some parts um the 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 place is called fight city and that's actually a card game that we did back in 99 or so like 99 was a great year for us i guess but um fight city was a card game where you can decide what cards are in your deck i'm not sure what to call that but uh um this was back in a period of time when Wizards of the Coast was like collecting uh, uh, royalties from anybody who made a trading card game mm. because they had just got their patent, and and that was interesting. But they never came to us. But anyway, so it's essentially a trading card game set in this place called Fight City, and that was set in Fight City in the '90s. But there was a lot of backstory and families and places and you know business names and stuff. I wanted to do a mob theme for the new Button Men set because it seemed like a good anchor point uh, for, for a set of characters, and I decided to place it in that same place. So I already had a little bit of background, and then I, when I was writing up the art descriptions to give them some kind of interrelatedness, I wrote a whole bunch more background, and pretty soon I was like, okay, where did I say this guy was from again? And then I needed to start sketching up maps, and pretty soon I was like, let's make the maps for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, and now that's I think cool. we want to turn those into some kind of game product. They, we'll, do, we'll do a board game on the map or something. <sighs> Terrible. I should have muted before. So bad. <sighs> Terrible at this job. <laughs> 
But uh, you, you said Nate Taylor was one of the artists and uh, Cheyenne Wright was is the other artist. Have you worked with them before or are they like on the books? Oh, absolutely. They're, they're regular uh, cheap-ass artists at this point. Um, Nate Nate has done some stuff for us. Most recently, he did the Tack Pairs deck, which we have <laughs> just made public on drive through Cards. Um, but it's a – I mean, I don't know why we do these crossover things, but people ask for them, so we do. But Tack was happening, and they're like – and Pairs had happened the year before, and they were like, let's do a Pairs deck full of people playing tack. And he did these great cartoons of people from Pat Rothfuss's universe playing tack in different parts of the world. And, and they're so animated and, and colorful and gorgeous. So, so anyway, Nate was a shoe in for this. And then Cheyenne has been working with us since forever. He did the art for unexploded cow. He did the art for before I kill you, Mr. Spy. He's done many, many games with us. He's uh, also Phil Folio's colorist on the girl genius webcomic. Uh, so we've just known him since forever. And and I had Nate and Cheyenne split the Buttonman art set because it was a pretty big set of cards. Right, and 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 the art is beautiful. I got I'm a sucker for good for you know good art. I, you know they fit fit the time frame. You know they fit the theme. You know the you know racially either you know you've, you're across the board. You have men and women and everything. And like again, like some people may not think of that as a consideration, but then you, you know, you go and look at the cards and you go, Oh, that's really cool. I, we, you know, we've got wide variety and it's, you know, something that, you know, can be a touchstone for anybody that comes into the game. Like there's a card that looks like me. Yeah. I think, I think there's a great deal of wonderful inclusiveness in this set. And it's, it's one of the two reasons that we decided to go with a fictionalized mob universe instead of a real life one. Like if you go, and you actually look at the pictures of all the gangsters and goombas at the mob museum in Las Vegas. They're just all old white guys, like with, without exception. And, and so, well, that would have given us a pretty boring palette of characters, but also some of those people are still alive. So we just decided let's, let's get fictionalized. <laughs> let's just get it out of our system and, and do whatever we want instead of trying to stick to the real world. <laughs> right. <laughs> cool. Um, and, as far as TAC goes, you'd, you'd mentioned TAC. Is is everything shipped out from the Kickstarter? Are you guys still fulfilling Oh, yeah, orders? sure. We, we shipped a lot of that before the end of the year. We got it all done, uh, the rest of it done in, like, February. And uh, so now we're at, to the point of there's always going to be the dregs, but we actually had a higher response rate percentage-wise to our survey than usual. So we've, we've you know, percentage-wise, we've fulfilled a lot of people. There's still some people we haven't heard from, but, um, but TAC is shipped. It's in stores. We're trying to get it into more stores, of course. You know, we're getting reviews, and, and and I haven't checked Amazon recently, but for a while we had nothing but five five star reviews there, which was just great. Awesome, yeah, I, I've I've seen it up in my store. I just I I haven't picked it up yet, so you know, bad on me, I guess. But <laughs> well, you know, uh, there's there there's it, it. Hopefully, it'll be there for a while. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. <laughs> I can't oh, make any promises. Retail stores don't keep stuff forever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I have to get back up there. <laughs> All right. And then uh, what else is, is going on for cheap-ass games? Anything that you can uh, tell us about that's coming up? Well, this week I'm working on a deluxe edition of Pairs. Um, Pairs has been a good game for us, and we're trying to get it into more places again. And this deluxe edition actually comes with a book with about 30 different games in it. So it's a slightly bigger box. Um, and that's what I'm working on this week as I'm laying out that book. It's got like it says 30 on the cover. It's more like 40 if you count all the variants and everything, but it's, it's 48 pages of, of pairs games, including a lot of stuff that has been released in individual decks and a few things that have never seen uh, uh, print before. 
so so that's that's my you know occupying my brain this week along with keeping the button men campaign alive um, we're doing a kill Dr. lucky board expansion uh, for Halloween basically so that's the next thing on my uh, to-do list is to get this board done but it's called dr. lucky's mansion that is haunted and uh, it's if I make this work, I can't promise this, but I'll tell you what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to make a side view uh, map for this house. So it's, it's, a, it's an elevation instead of an overhead. Mm. And you're all ghosts in this particular uh, theme. And, you're, and, and Dr. Lucky has just sold the house to a, a, a family that's just moved to town and, and because it's haunted and he wants out and, and all the ghosts don't want him to leave. So you're still trying to kill Dr. Lucky, <laughs> but <laughs> from a slightly different perspective. <laughs> They keep him forever. He becomes one of the ghosts. Yeah, we love you so much. It's not like we hate you. We all secretly love you. We want you to stay here forever with us. <laughs> before the before the innocent family moves in, you can be one of the people that one of the ghosts that haunts the new guys. <laughs> there you go. That's awesome. Um, you have any? Uh, you, I assume you're going to be at uh, Gen Con. You have any other conventions that you're going to be uh, heading out? Yeah, to? Origins and Gen Con are always our two big shows of the summer, and they're very different for me at this point because Origins. Uh, my, I, I, I will be on the, the show floor, but I don't, I'm not exhibiting at Origins. I'm doing a podcast in the evening. Mike Selinker and Paul Peterson and I do this Origins by Night podcast with three hours from the bar every night where we just interview everybody who comes through. Cool. Uh, so that's, that's my primary job at Origins. At Gen Con, we have a big booth. We got a big 20 by 20 booth in the far flung beyond of the back of the hall. And we're going to be selling all of our new products. We're going to have a big tack display. We're going to have a, Backdrop where you can get your take your photo basically with a lot of murderers from Kill Dr. Lucky. There are <laughs> at least a half dozen people at Gen Con who happen to be murderers in that game, and we're and including Dr. Lucky who we're bringing along special for this event. So that's BJ Becker. He's got no other reason to go to Gen Con, so he's ours for the whole <laughs> week. <laughs> um, so that's going to be crazy fun and very busy and and quite a quite a change from from uh, from Origins. But I'm also doing. Like I said, I'm going to a trade show next week. I'm going to the licensing show in Las Vegas, and then I'm flipping straight from there to KublaCon. And uh, KublaCon's, you know, half playtesting and half lecturing for me. Uh, and lots of other smaller shows all summer. The, the, the roller coaster ride is about to begin. Mm, yeah, it's that time of the year. Do you, so, you know, like obviously Gen Con's a big moneymaker. Um, do you prefer a smaller con or do you enjoy the bigger cons or it's just a different experience? Yeah, they're not, you can't even compare them. Like, like Gen Con is just, it's just wall to wall work and a good small con, like a local convention in Seattle, even it's just a place where I don't even have to do any talks. I just go and play games all weekend like everybody else. So yeah, they're two totally different things. Hmm, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, I was at PAX in 2012 and that was before it got super big and it was fun. It was a, you know, it was a good experience, but it was super big in 2012. It, well, yeah, well, it's bigger now. <laughs> <laughs> it's bigger um, now. Yeah. But, but Rincon, uh, which is, which is where we uh, initially met was, was just such a great time. And I think it was only about maybe like 500 people and it's just so personal and so relatable and everybody's around and, and, you know, you're around and, you know, Andy was, was there and Seth Jaffe and everybody and it's everybody's so approachable. It's just a really cool, cool vibe, uh, you know, in a small con like that for an attendee. Yeah, absolutely. Well, for a guest as well, because we're not being worked so hard. I mean, yeah. we get to do our, our panels, but they're all close and then we get to see everyone and, and play games and that's, that's a great time. Rincon is a great time. Um, yeah. I am at Rincon again this year. The, the timing is right, so uh, so I'm sure I'll see you there. 
Yeah, I, I will be there. <laughs> Last year was my was my first year, and 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 what a way to kick it off with with you being there. And I, I talked to uh, to John Wick, and and you know, of course, Andy was there. I interviewed him in his in his hotel room, like like eleven thirty that one night. <laughs> so pretty. Well, great. speaking of John Wick, there is another project that's on the side burner right now, um, which is a miniatures game for Seventh C. Uh, I am working on a game that I have been beta testing as Kagway Bay for about three or four years now. But, uh, but John Wick is picking it up and we're going to make, uh, put that into open beta pretty soon. Uh, so you'll see a new quick playing tabletop miniatures game with re well, from what they're telling me, really nice miniatures. I, I haven't seen them yet, but I know they're going to be good. Um, you remember pirates of the Spanish main, I assume. Uh, it sounds familiar, yeah. Yeah, that's that was the polystyrene game, the, the, the models you punch out of a little plastic card and, and build pirate ships out of that. Um, that game's been out of print for quite some time, and, and so I was looking for uh, essentially a chance to redo that. I, 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 there's some things about that game I don't like, so so uh, so that's kind of what Kagway Bay is, and that's what this, this, this uh, 7C game is going to be. It's, it's, it's a replacement for that. Hmm, that sounds really cool. But not with polystyrene models, like like with real models. Like, yeah, 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 plastic models. Cool. That's awesome. Um, and then we should also remind everybody that you have the Demo Monkeys program so people can get free stuff to go out and demo games for cheap-ass games. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you can find out more about that from our Facebook page and our website. Um, I'm not actually the contact person for that, thank God, but uh, Cassidy <laughs> Warner does a great job coordinating the demo monkeys, and she's just ordering T-shirts, so <laughs> talk to her now. <laughs> <laughs> Get in while they're still hot. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that, that's awesome. Um, yeah, I, I think that I think we've probably uh, we've probably beat this down pretty well. Um, We'll just we'll we'll say again that thirty five bucks gets you the starter set with the fun envelope. You get forty eight character cards and thirty polyhedral dice. Uh, if you just want the cards, it's fifteen bucks. And there's pledges that range up and down from there. You can get just the fun envelope. Uh, you could you could have yourself drawn into the game, and you know you're starting to get into some some higher pledge values there. But uh, it was cool to be part of uh, someone else's game. That that's a very cool thing, and. Uh, you know, I, everybody should check it out. We've got links in the show notes for, for all the things. So you should definitely, you know, check all that stuff out and support cheap ass games. Well, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. It was a pleasure to have you on again. I look forward to seeing you at RinCon this year. Hope assuming schedules work out. Absolutely. I'll see you there. All right. That's awesome. Thank you for coming on. And I'll throw out all of our stuff here. You can find this awesome content and all of our other cool stuff at legendsoftabletop.com. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, you could reach out to us at legendsoftabletop at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at Legends Tabletop. Uh, we're on um, SoundCloud and iTunes, Google Play, Player FM, Tumblr, Instagram, uh, YouTube. You can find us all over the place punch us into Google. You'll find it. Follow all the things, download all the stuff. You won't regret it. It's awesome. Yeah, I think it's awesome. You should think it's awesome too. You might not. I don't know. If you hate it, send us an email anyway. Let us know why you hate it. It's all useful information. I love it. Uh, if you have uh, the time and you're so inclined, if you could leave us a, a, a rating on iTunes, that would be fantastic. That helps us out tremendously. Uh, gets us noticed a little bit more so we can bring other people into the fold and slowly we'll assimilate everyone on the internet. That's the end goal. <laughs> so thanks everybody for checking it out 
and we'll catch you next time. This podcast is a proud member of the Legends of Tabletop broadcast network. For more gaming-related content, please visit www.legendsoftabletop.com.